Hi, and welcome to another special video episode of our podcast, D23 Inside Disney. I'm Sherry from Oh My Disney. I'm Jeffrey from D23. And I'm Candace from Radio Disney. The beautiful moving film Howard is now streaming on Disney+. Plus. It tells the story of legendary lyricist and Disney legend Howard Ashman, who for Disney penned the unforgettable lyrics to songs from The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin. And today we have with us an incredible roster of guests, Disney legends Jody Benson, Ellen Menken, and Paige O'Hara, Howard Ashman's sister Sarah Gillespie, Howard's partner Bill Lauk, and Howard director Don Hahn. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hi, guys. Woohoo! Hey, everybody. Hi. All right, Alan, we'd be remiss if we did not congratulate you on your new LEGOT status, having yes. received the Disney Legend, Emmy, Grammy, oh. Oscar, and Tony oh, Awards. I also have the, <laughs> I have the Razzie for Worst Song of the Year from Newsies. Uh, I, so. <laughs> I know. I, I, we, I, we, 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 had, we had a Twitter exchange, and I feel like because the Razzie was for Newsies, you really get the last laugh on this one. So Thank congratulations. You. Yeah, they actually have a physical Razzie Award, and I said, I, I just found that out recently. I said, send it to me. I received it in the mail. It's got these little raspberries. I put it in the cake. <laughs> Instantly, half of it fell apart. <laughs> Which I Sounds think is about totally, right. totally, yeah. uh, appropriate. Fitting. Well, what was it like for each of you to kind of see yourselves transported back to the 70s, 80s, and early 90s? I got to score the movie, and I felt a responsibility to try to give some sort of musical context. Um, so I was sort of within it as, and working on it. I, I was just blown away emotionally by it every time I went near it. It's just um, what Don did um, is so wonderful and brilliant. And um, who knew? I mean, we knew each other. I knew you as a producer. He, produced, he was a producer on Beauty. And, and uh, we did Hunchback for a while together. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't know he was a film, you know, also literally, you know, a film director and it was so good. I think, you know, Don was very kind and shared, um, uh, shared stuff as he was finding it and um, shared roughs of, I don't know if they're called roughs when they're in films, but uh, rushes maybe, whatever, of, of the film as he was working on it. And what would happen is he would find things that, you know, there was stuff that I knew and, and stuff that he had, you know, come to our, uh, our, our various homes and gone through stuff. So a lot of it were things I knew. And then with the recordings, especially, he would find things um, that I didn't know. And the one thing he found that I, it still kills me. It, it just, I don't know quite where Don found it, but there is a, um, an audio recording of Howard talking to yeah, Ron and John, uh, John Musker and Ron Clements, and Ron Clements, yes, Ron Clements, who were the directors of Mermaid. And but this was when he was working on Beauty, and he was Howard was very ill, and I, I hadn't heard him sound like that since he died. That's not the voice I want to remember. It's not the voice I remember. It's not the Howard I, I. It's a Howard I try not to remember. Um, it was difficult to, and it was difficult, obviously. And it was, I just remember first thing in the morning, turning that on and listening to that and watching that and, and just, it's a combination of gratitude for hearing it. And um, as I say, it still moves me and, and it hurts to hear it. It hurts to hear him sound like that. Um, but but such a kind of treasure that Don found. 
Yeah. yeah, it was in the Library of Congress, and it's it shouldn't exist because it was from an old answering machine that's meant to record incoming messages, not meant to record conversations. And it was in a box in the back of the Library of Congress, and I started listening to it, and I thought, this is Howard. And it was on the day that we recorded Angela Lansbury. Um, and so he's telling the directors of Aladdin and Little Mermaid how that went. And I just thought, this shouldn't exist. And yet I'm listening to it, and it was such a... Uh, amazing thing to find. What Don did throughout the film is he touched on very significant moments in Howard's life. And most of us, all of us here were, were shared in all of that. So for me to watch it, it was this mixed bag of, of real exhilaration and happiness and devastation. And so it, it's every time I see the film and I've seen it many, many times now, I, I get taken on that journey and uh, it kind of, rattles around in my head for a few days. So I'm not very good at, at ascertaining how a unfamiliar viewer, you know, the impact on somebody who has never heard of Howard. I, I, so I have to listen to others in, in, in how they perceive this movie. And it's all been really good. You know, watching uh, when Don sent uh, the Howard documentary before it was finished, just to kind of take a look at it. Um, I started watching it and I had to turn it off. So um, I was I was sitting by myself and uh, I just couldn't really go there. I think at that time, whatever I was in my head and in my heart, I wasn't really ready to walk that journey. Um, so I grabbed my husband, Ray, and tried again the next night after uh, the kids were, I think, occupied doing something. So I said, can you sit with me? This is, you know, gonna be a journey and I, I wanna go on it. And now I think I'm ready to go on it. So just as, as Bill shared, there were so many joys and wonderful, wonderful surprises, especially photos from Smile that I had never seen before. And uh, that was a, a great, great fond memory to go back through those two and a half, four years of the Smile journey. Um, and then taking us on the road through The Little Mermaid. So there was a lot of joy, um, but tremendous sadness, and, but important. It was a really important piece to get through. And now that I've seen it several times, um, I'm so grateful. You know, that's the first word that comes to my mind. And, and I, I, I say this to everybody when I sing Part of Your World. <laughs> every week for 34 years, I guess, I've been singing this song now, and I never get tired of singing it. And um, even in the middle of this pandemic, I, I sing to the camera every day uh, for various things. And um, the great thing about Howard and Alan's music is that it is a sense memory. So I go back to the studio to the exact day with Howard standing to my left and Alan and all the wonderful people. And I get to have this intimate moment for three minutes and 17 seconds that, that I, I'm singing a song and I'm sharing a song, but quite selfishly, I am going back in time. So every time Alan's first note hits, I get to have this magical journey back all those decades ago and sing this beautiful song where I am literally imitating Howard. <laughs> He's Ariel, 
And I just jumped on that ride with him. And I loved line readings. We didn't need to do it 50 times. I just needed to do it once. I just needed to do it the way that Howard did it. And that worked for me. And it was such a gift and such a blessing to have him standing right next to me. So it's a beautiful journey. And having this film is this treasure. I feel like it's this wonderful, wonderful gift that we all get to share together here on the screen, but around the world. And I'm really excited for people to join in on this journey of Howard's life. Paige, what was it like to go back and, and revisit those days? Oh my gosh, Michael and I, we, when we watched it, um, we went through so many emotions. I mean, the one moment I was, we were cracking up laughing at Howard and how, and how funny he was. And the next minute you're crying and you're going through all of these other emotions because of having lived some of them with him. Um, but the journey, and what I love about the film so much is that you get to see all, all the aspects of the man. Not just that you see the genius, you see the, the humor, the incredible intelligence, but you also see the sympathetic, caring, kind person that he was as well. Um, it's, I love the fact that I have friends that have kids that are saying, I want to I know this Howard. I want to see this movie. And they've watched the movie. And he's got a whole new slew of fans now. Of young people that are now discovering the genius of Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. And I'm talking like little kids, you know, that, that there's, it's, it's amazing to see the multiple generations of people who idolize both you, Alan and Howard. And, and I love the fact that I'm introducing it to some of my friends, children and grandchildren right now. I'm loving that. So we're watching the movie a lot. When I, when I watch it, there's layers with each scene of things that I know beyond what's there. Oh, right, right. And so many of them, it's, it's um, you know, when I think about Howard's vocal thing, I remember, ex you know, exactly the moment where it started. And actually, Don, believe it or not, has to do with you. You had, you had laryngitis. And Howard was afraid he had caught your laryngitis. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, obviously with some neuropathy, it was nothing to do with that. But ev on every scene, on every level, there's, there's those, those things that are unseen. I'm, I know in the scene where Jody, where you, I wasn't there. I was doing Doody Kravitz in <laughs> Philadelphia. That was Robbie Merkin who was sitting. But I remember there were tensions behind the scenes. There were palpable tensions um, where, where Howard was really yet to really grab the reins of producing these sessions. Mm -hmm. And he was on the verge of saying, I, I need to control this. Yeah. And a lot of that happened in the work with you and how that was dealt with. He wanted to make sure he got to deal with you as an actress, not just worry about what, what the mic is and what the reverb is and all that. And I would hear about that, you know, constantly. I, um, and, but every scene has, there's, there's, there's things behind the scenes that are just, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they'll keep coming bubbling back as I, as I watch it. Jody, you sort of touched on this when you talked about the, the smile uh, images, but for, for all of you, you all knew Howard very well. Was there something either in watching the movie or in, in putting it together that you learned that surprised you that you didn't know? some of the aspects of his childhood I had heard about, but really especially moving to me, Sarah, was all of your narration. That I just was holding on to that 
for you to know him as a little boy. Because I think for, for myself and for Paige, we got to experience Howard's little boy coming out creatively through work as he's, you know, pulling everything out of us that he wants to be excellent. But I was so excited and so moved by hearing those specific details about his childhood that, that can only come from you. And um, so I, I kind of pushed rewind on those several times because I wanted to grab all those moments and be able to visualize it. And I think it just empowered even more of who he was in the, in the moments that I experienced him. It gave it more vitality, I think, and just more that, that essence of, oh my gosh, this was what was behind those moments. Because like, you know, in Smile, remember guys, it, w- it was crazy, it was horrible, there was, you know, fighting and there was chaos and all this. But ultimately you could, al- I always knew that Howard's goal was sheer excellence. That's all he wanted. He wanted the best. He wanted it to be the best that it could be, bottom line. And you either jump on that train or you get the heck off. <laughs> you know, just get on board with him because he knows what he's talking about. I so loved you giving me, personally, I, I, I got to get that childhood piece. And boy, that just spelled it out for me. It just like completed it for me. It was really special. That it is to the excellence, which was that when we were kids, we, Howard would put on shows in the backyard, as I'm sure many of you experienced as well. And uh, we did Gypsy um, because we didn't. That oh. was Howard, so you didn't of start. Of course, you did. Yeah. Gypsy. <laughs> I mean, that's that is an ambitious child production. <laughs> Howard directed it, and he had to fire. He had to fire the Linda. I will not use her last name. Linda down the block who could just not cut. Gypsy <laughs> wrote oh. strip teeth. Howard fired her. Linda's mother gave it to how like really let him have it. He didn't fire her daughter. And Howard did, let me entertain you, the, the, the strip with like, we, he had a, my mom talked about this, a script, he made a scrim out of a, out of a, a sheet, right? With backlighting, because it was Howard. And did the scrim like un, undoing, let me entertain you taking, unwrapping from towels, you know, dropping. <laughs> And, um, but, but, but that's the excellence. He had to fire Linda. She just wasn't good enough. And it was clear. <laughs> Sarah, so oh, your stories. I love that story. I love that story. And the st- story we hear in the film, we got a real sense of Howard as a kid and as a brother. How did your relationship grow as you grew into adults? Um, he was always my mentor. And basically, Howard told me what to do. And I listened because he did tend to know better. Um, I moved to to New York because Howard did not want me staying in Baltimore and decided I should move to New York. Um, my best friend, still my best friend, uh, Nancy Parent, who's in the film, um, Howard decreed when they met that I she would be my best friend. He told me I would love her, and I do indeed, but he made that happen. Um, Howard uh, it was kind of inevitable that he, he had Bill and myself um, become um, uh, responsible for his work um, after his death. And he knew we would be good partners. And I think we are. 
and and uh, I, I I don't remember what the question was, but that's <laughs> I have I have a, a back a back of the story. I always wonder what Howard would have thought, which is people say, oh, don't you think Howard would have been thrilled, you know, about Robin Williams playing the genie? What people don't know, for and I don't know how Howard would have felt, but Howard's Robin's first wife, Valerie and Howard were very close friends. And they went to, they went to school together. I th what, is that where was it, Antioch? Or I can't no, remember. Goddard. That was Goddard. me, Goddard. Oh, it's Goddard. And he was a little upset because about Robin Williams and, and, the, and the, the marriage having gone on the rocks. And, and it was after Howard, very shortly after Howard passed away, they said, oh, Robin will be playing the, uh, the genie. And We've never really discussed that. I always wondered what would Howard, how would Howard have dealt with that? Because he's a very, very loyal friend. Anyway, Alan, you probably know better than anyone how Howard felt about improvisation. <laughs> you know what Robin does with improvisation. So there, there may have been some comments <laughs> regarding that. Yeah, listen, the world would have been a different, yes. It would have worked well together. Latin changed a great deal after Howard passed. It, just, it, it, it did. It was our initial take was this, this wink at the Hope Crosby Road pictures, and it was um, very um, a, a buddy picture. And um, I'm sure Howard would have adjusted, because God knows, you talk about adjustment. If you look at Little Shop of Horrors, when the movie came out, had the, you know, the original ending with the plant, eating New York City and and we were, you know, the movie was fine up until then and then the cards just went crashing down and and Howard was given the assignment, you know, we have to, we, we have the footage, we need to just take, take the existing footage with very little uh, reshooting and change the, uh, the ending completely. And Howard did that, I think, in in a week or something like that, just completely, you know, Okay, fine. Audrey lives. Seymour, you know, um, lives, um, and um, he gave. He, he just turned it around because he's such. I don't a, think he said fine though. What? <laughs> I don't think he said fine. I don't remember him being very happy, about it, but he did it. <laughs> well, but he did. You know, Howard was a pro. He did what needed to be done. Yeah. Ellen, in the doc, you said that you and Howard never left the room without a good idea and a good song. So do you remember a particularly challenging day or maybe night that led to a great song you could talk about? Beauty and the Beast was a challenge. Um, and I, I remember finding, similarly, like, like you, this is long tape of us in, in the living room in, in um, Be uh, Beacon, uh, you know, inching our way towards beauty. Um, you know, as opposed to a song where I tell the story often about, about Be Our Guest, where I basically just tossed out some, you know, off the top of my head, dummy piece of music, which is, which is a dummy piece. And always, you know, and then he brought back the lyric. I said, now I'll write the real music. And I, I could, you know, because all that music had to do was get out of the way of his lyrics, just establish a place and get out of the way. Um, Somewhere the screen took, went through a lot of uh, a lot of changes. Most of the changes were in figuring out what a musical wants to be. You know, that we had a whole sh initial score to Little Shop of Horrors that had nothing to do with 
being the dark side of Greece or, you know, or Phil Spector rock and roll. It was very much in the style of the Corman movie. And we, we went there and then, you know, people looked at us like we had five heads and we said, and then one day he came in, he said, I got it. <laughs> and from that point forward, boom, it was done. Um, Howard was very much about the concept. And I'm taking, I'm, we were writing his musical. You're going to know why we're in this style of music, what that style of music is saying, why we're in that, you know, how, how it's informing the rest of the, uh, of the movie. And it was just, once he came to that, then boom, it was, it was um, the process became inevitable. It's interesting, Alan, if I can, I, I, I always thought you, you would answer this. I, I always thought Howard worked once, as you say, he had the concept. Once the concept was there, he worked very fast on the initial. And then what he liked to do was edit, was, was go back in and drill in and drill in and drill in. Of course, of course. yeah, yeah. And then in rehearsal, we, yeah. You know, I was heartbroken when we took out We'll Have Tomorrow. It was this beautiful ballad act of, of Little Shop when Seymour is telling Audrey, Audrey, go home, it'll all be okay. And, um, and um, he said, we can't have two ballads in act two. We have already have suddenly Seymour, it's going to. And he was very smart about balancing what's needed. Yeah, obviously a lot of editing. Speaking of editing, Done. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you had hours and hours and hours of footage and audio that needed to be edited to make the film. Was there a scene or two that you really, really loved but just didn't have room for? Yeah, there always is. And it's impossible to put Howard's life together in 90 minutes, but uh, I, you know, you try. Um, I guess the thing that comes to mind, uh, there's a gentleman named Kyle Rennick, who was um, Howard's producer, the managing director of the WPA Theater, which Howard had in New York. And it's it, it was kind of miraculous to me that this, you know, kid who's in his 20s right out of uh, Indiana University moves to New York, which you could do then because it's unaffordable now, and, and opens a theater, which you could do then because you couldn't possibly do it now, and, um, and, and has all these places to workshop things. That's where Little Shop of Horrors came from and Rosewater came from. And there's a great piece of tape that Kyle had where Howard talks about the night he went to see a Tennessee Williams play and Tennessee Williams was in the theater mm -hmm. and uh, he invited Tennessee Williams out for drinks afterwards with Stuart and uh, they all went next door and can you imagine that table is sitting there having drinks <laughs> and then the, at the end of the story Howard says and then I said uh, Mr. Williams well good luck on your play <laughs> and then Tennessee Williams turned to Howard and said well Mr. Ashman good luck on your play and I think that was probably the highlight of Howard's life. You know, <laughs> he idolized Tennessee Williams so much. I just thought, that's, wow, what a moment that must have been. He had a very rich life. What Don did is very similar to what Howard did. As, as Alan said, you know, two, can't have two ballads at the end, in, in the second act. One of, one of the reasons people always say how well done Little Shop is, that it's such a gem, um, that it's, it's so concise. Part of the reason is because there isn't a spare line. It is, it gets you in and out of the theater. It, it doesn't run on. 
and yet it gives you this emotional burst. That that's kind of what the beauty of of, of Little Shop. And I think it's also what what Don did. You know, um, writer. There's a writing line. It sounds terrible, but uh, that writers have. And sometimes you have to kill your children. The, the, your very lovely pretties. You sometimes have to just say goodbye to. And I think the fact that Don kept it to 90 minutes and had to let go of some of his his little beauties, as I think, um, uh, is just. You know what, Sarah, what you just said, all of a sudden, my head just went boom. Little Shop was the last, actually, the last time Howard had complete artistic control of something. And you look at what a gem that is. I mean, 85 minutes. You open up the, the socket amateur version of the script you cannot find a page where there aren't those capital letters of song lyrics it is so integrated and tight and after that with with smile and with disney of course it was never that kind of unilateral control ever again and god knows the you know the wonderful results but what it would have been like if howard had again had the experience of just saying, I am, I am writing this and I'm directing this and I'm doing this exactly the way I want, way I want to do it. And we will never have that, but mm -hmm. wow. In, the, in a good world, he would have had that power after the Disney films. We were gonna, he wanted to do Big Street. Mm -hmm. And I've tried and tried, <laughs> you know, I've written, but it's, you know, it's this quirky story and I'm just, we'll never know what he would have wanted to do with that. Mm -hmm. um, it haunts me a little bit, but that's so be it. Bill, I, I was lucky enough to watch you accept the Academy Award live for the, or at least live on television for um, for Beauty and the Beast on you Howard's You can't be behalf. that old. Oh, I'm, I'm that old, but thanks. <laughs> that's very nice of you. It's, it's the good ring light. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you on that Academy Award stage was a huge moment in so many ways. I, what was that like for you? It was, an, it was a surreal opportunity. Um, and uh, I, I've said this before, but I'll say it again, that it was kind of all a blur. Uh, when you go to the Academy Awards and there's the potential that you'll have to speak, uh, you don't think about anything that happens before that. But um, I was supported by many aspects uh, surrounding that event, the Disney Company, the Academy, and most importantly, Sarah and Alan, who who felt this was appropriate and the right thing to do for me to, for me to represent. So um, I, went, I went up on the stage kind of in a cloud uh, and I knew what I had written and wanted to say. And it touched on a couple things. Uh, it was primarily to, to just represent for Howard appropriately in a way that he would approve of and to, and to speak in a way that would bring light to all of the people that were suffering through AIDS the way he did, but didn't have the exceptional circumstances that we did, the support and, and the, the environment in which he was able to, to produce his best work. Because there are just thousands, tens of thousands of people out there that were, that were lost in the, in the melee of that horrible plague. And, and the last thing was that I wanted to, to represent same-sex relationships in a way that was opening that door a little more. So I, um, I was given that opportunity and really grateful for it. Um, and I had no idea it would sort of carry on and, and live on in the way it has. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a, 
uh, an event uh, that I will always remember and uh, had no idea that it had any kind of impact other than in my own life. Wow. Well, Paige and Jody, we see Howard working with both of you with real specificity. Sometimes getting a lot of direction, I feel like, can hinder an actor. So what was it about the way Howard worked with you that actually helped you? Well, for me, Howard just encouraged me to to let myself come through in the character. And that was hard for me, to be that vulnerable, to allow your own personality to come into a part. I, I always found it easier to play like the Ado Annies and you know, roles that I did, revivals and what have you. But Belle was different. Belle was so much like me that it was, it was kind of um, intimidating and challenging. And Howard was really the one, I mean, Kirk and Gary are directors, of course, too, but, but Howard was the one that would pull me aside and said, don't be afraid to let yourself come through. And he, he talked about the character. He'd talk about the fact that she was older. She was the only princess, not a teenager. She had a warmth and a, and a maturity about her. He says, you have that in your sound innately. Don't try and cover it up. Just let yourself come through. And that was a constant direction. And, um, I mean, there were certain things like like the the new and a bit alarming, as Alan has told it, when we were recording it, and he was in the hospital then at that point, um, and Howard was just on a phone patch, and I wasn't getting that one phrase exactly the way he wanted it, and he he said, "Tell her to put some Streisand in it," and then of course, new and a bit alarming, you know, it kind of came out, and you know, uh, there were a couple times like that, and Quiet Village, I could not get Quiet Village, and oddly enough, you're talking about the Oscars when. I sang that night the bell song, and I'm in the wings. I kept thinking of that session with Howard before I went on stage. Quiet village. I want to get that out right. I want that want that phrase to be good. And of course, Angela Lansbury standing next to me. She's going to introduce me. It was that was an amazing night. But I thought of Howard a lot right before I went on stage, and it actually calmed me down. I actually felt like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm, he's watching. He's watching. I'm going to I'm going to nail this. Um, he was a very special man. More ways that I, I could spend an hour just talking through that, but it's uh, we'll do that another time. I was absolutely petrified because I'd never been behind a microphone before. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, and I knew that when I walked into work the first day, everybody was going to know that I was a fake. <laughs> and um, it was it was Howard. You know, he's like, "You can do this," and the greatest cheerleader. I beat myself up a lot. Um, you don't hear a lot of it because we did a lot of whispering in the studio together, a lot of whispering behind our hands kind of thing. But um, I really struggled with insecurity. And um, he was <laughs> he was a cheerleader. You know, he just pulled everything out of me to be able to to do this because I at one point I told him I can't do this. I think, I think they got the wrong girl. Um, you know, there's a million people that can do this that know what the heck they're doing. I feel like every day I was just saying that constantly. I don't know what I'm doing and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He's like, you gotta stop saying you're sorry because you got this, you can do this. I just need you to stop singing. I was just singing, you know, I had just come from the Lunt Fontaine Theater with 1500 people. I didn't know anything about the studio. And I felt like a, a little bit like a fraud. And um, it was really hard for me coming from stage, from Broadway, to sing behind a mic, you know, that can hear everything. Every time I burped, I have this problem where I would, I kept burping. And 
I couldn't control it. And you know, Howard's like, it's okay, just take some water, you're gonna be fine. I have the same problem. It's just so embarrassing. <laughs> I will never watch Little Mermaid the same way again. I think there's like a burp track tape somewhere. <laughs> I, <hope not>. <laughs> <laughs> I just had, I had that problem. So anyways, Earth Bay. Yeah, Howard was like, he, he kept whispering next to me, just stop singing. Just tell the story. Just say the words. Just say the lyric. And finally, you know, practically in tears, I would look to him just begging, begging him, <laughs> begging him. I'd turn my face from, from the booth so Ron and John, our directors, couldn't see me. I'd look at him. I'd say, would you please just give me the line rating? Just <laughs> sing it to me. If you sing it to me, then I can copy you and we're going to get through this because I'm losing my mind, you know, after seven hours. So I, I so, I, gosh, yeah, I, there's, there's no way there'd be no Ariel, you know, I mean, it's, it's all Howard. I, I know that sounds funny when I say that, but, you know, people say, oh, I love Ariel. And, oh, I love, I'm like, then you love Howard because <laughs> mm -hmm. Ariel's, that's who, that's who Howard is, is Ariel. And every single thing. So once we got through that, because I think he felt badly about directing me or, you know, being bossy. I'm like, you're not being bossy. I'm begging you to do this for me. I need your help because I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And finally, once we got past that, and then it was like smooth sailing, you know, except for some technical issues or whatever, but that wasn't on me. Um, and I stopped saying, I'm sorry. Cause he's like, you have got to stop saying you're sorry. Cause you, you deserve to be here. You can do this. I know you can do this. I just worked with you for all those years on smile. I can get this out of you. I'm like, all right, I'm going to just completely let go and trust you. Hmm. And that's what I did. And as soon as I let go and trust, then it was there. Hmm. Then she was like coming out, you know, talk about, talk about you can do this. Um, I had lunch with Howard. We were about to do uh, Little Mermaid, and he said, um, you, "You should score it. You should you should do the underscore for the movie." I said, "I've never done it before. I, I don't know." How. He said, "You're you're going to do it." And so, okay. And it's because he insisted that I did it, and that obviously changed my life in a mm -hmm. huge way because um, I learned on Little Mermaid. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but I took on that job because he said, I need you to do it. You gotta do it. And you can do it. So. The only time I ever heard Howard say he couldn't do something was that Jeffrey Katzenberg, who's a brilliant executive that we all worked with, loved the Beauty and the Beast ballad. And he said, I really, you know, I need another verse. We just need another verse. And Howard said, I can't. And um, he said, I've, I've used all the rhyming words I can use because all that's left is that rhymes with Beast is deceased. Priest and beast, and he was like, "I can't use this." So it is what it is. Oh, I know. <laughs> also, you don't want to. No, you don't want to stretch it out long. I mean, uh, so many things I love about Jeffrey Katzenberg, but I would not. He's not the person I would turn to to perfect a ballad. As if you wanted to cut <laughs> part of your world, apparently wanted to ex totally expand uh, Beauty and the Beast. So, with all due respect, Jeffrey.
Yeah, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad no one listened to Jeffrey about Part of Your World, because what the heck would I be doing the last 30 years? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like I'd be out of a job, so. <laughs> so Alan, at, at the Expo a few years ago, you did obviously a fantastic concert of, of your music, and you included Sheridan Square. Um, oh, it was a beautiful. It was so beautiful and, and I think unfamiliar to a lot of people in that audience. What, what made you choose to perform it? It has a huge impact on, on listeners. Um, I am kind of included in one concert, uh, I, I hold the world of Alan Menken thing. And I, I put it in there just as an example of Howard's and my early, we had, there was a period we were writing many individual songs together. That was one of them. Um, so-called Daughter of God and Burning Bush. And, they, they, um, and we were writing in you know, these individual numbers. And, but this one was very heartfelt about, about the AIDS crisis. And uh, people just so respond to it. And so, it, I, you know, I took a chance um, initially putting it in the concert when I got the response it was, that was so huge. It became just something I, I regularly include. I thought you were going to also point out at a D23 concert, I, Marvin Hamlet had just passed away and I thought I, 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 should, I want to do Disneyland. There I am at Disneyland I, and it was a beautiful, beautiful song and, and I put Howard's lyric in front of me so I could rehearse it, my performance of that and it was the first time in 22 years that I sat in front of a new, for me, Howard Ashman lyric and it emotionally just blindsided me. The power of what comes off the page um, and the life that comes off of it, I, I, I was just, <laughs> um, it, was, it was just the vis that, that, that visceral experience was, was incredible, just working in front of a Howard Ashman uh, lyric in general. But anyway, yes, Sheraton Square is, is very emotional and very positive. You know, just, despite all the grief, it's not an angry song. It's really, we're going we're gonna to try to hang in there. Uh, or we'll go, or we'll go, all go down together, whatever. Um, he really was grappling with understanding what this was and what the rela his relationship was to this. I remember we were in the studio one night doing a mix and, um, and we, we were mixing. So therefore the, the uh, control room and outside was the soundstage, which was basically dark and Howard was tired. And he went out to the to the dark um, soundstage, and you know you get those pads that you put on pianos and on the instruments, and he laid a bunch of them on on the ground, and he just wanted, he just lay down. And I came out there, and we were talking about, you know, what can you do? What are the treatments one could do? And and there was something I forget I think it was called Feldenkrais or something, where you some sort of a mindset thing or an emotional thing. He said. Stop. I'm, I, don't want to, I don't want to act as if this is something I brought on myself or that I will get rid of, you know, by some other method. This is like it's, like it's my fault or my responsibility. I, and he wouldn't go there. Um, anyway, it's a flood of these memories. Well, we usually end our shows asking about a favorite Disney memory, but we thought for this show, we'd ask for everyone's favorite Howard lyric. 
I'll start. So I refuse to give a favorite Howard lyric, but one thing that I find <laughs> always, um, that always amuses me is in God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, one of my favorite lines is the very end, which is, let them be rose waters, my sons and my daughters, go forth, be fruitful and multiply. But he rhymed rose waters and my sons and my daughters, as he does <laughs> when Ariel sings. Uh, what would I give if I could live out of these waters? Waters, right. <laughs> but that you on land, they understand that you don't reprimand your daughters. There's, there's a line in there that rhymes waters and daughters. I, I'm going to pick two lines from Gaston. Mm. Um, the first one is, he's especially good at expectorating. <laughs> <laughs> the other one is, he uses antlers in all his decorating. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you took that one, I was gonna pick that one. <laughs> 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 he's covered with hair. No, I know. I love that one too. Oh my gosh. I, I also love that. Can I just point out that Howard didn't, one of the reasons that you all remember his, his one of the reasons his Disney lyrics is so wonderful. He did not condescend. He never condescended. He never wrote down to kids that kids were going to read this. He, he, he wrote a good lyric and let the kids move up, pull up to him. So more than one child, of course they got it from the animation, but more than one child looked up expectorating to find out what that was. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I love the fact too that he actually utilizes uh, Shakespearean days too with uh, "Screw Your Courage to the Sticking Place." <laughs> oh man, we we all ran home that night and like real violence for all the books and looked. My Shakespeare, so I I had no choice but to love Shakespeare or enjoy my time with my mom. You know, my favorite was um, "Barely Even Friends," then somebody bends unexpectedly. Mm. And actually, my final memory of Howard um, Allen, I was at your house learning the title song because Angela didn't want to do the press and sing it on, on TV. She just didn't want to. Oh, right. <laughs> she suggested that I sing it. Remember, I, I learned the song from you at your house, at your piano, and you said, we got to call Howard. We, he would love to hear you sing this. And so we did. And actually, I sang it to him over the phone, and he said, beautiful, Paige, beautiful. I said, any notes? No, nope. beautiful, Paige. And I was like, oh. no notes from Howard? I and mean, it was like crazy. But that was the last, actually the last time I actually talked to him. Wow. Um, when he said, beautiful page. It's just like, wow. Uh, it's, you know, the lyric that we found to go at the end of the movie, that was a cut lyric from Beauty and the Beast. Um, Winter turns to spring, famine turns to feast. Um, nature so points the way. Nature points the way, nothing left to say, Beauty and the Beast. Um, it's so beautiful in that context. And it's so, the experience of bringing lost lyrics of Howard's back into the light again is so intense. It's just so intense. You know, the moment I had when we, when we re-released um, the Aladdin movie and we actually recorded, we had um, uh, the American, what's his name? Um, uh, we had a recording of Proud of Your Boy. And for the first time, an orchestra played Proud Clay of Your Boy. Clay Aikens, I think. Was that Clay, Clay Aikens? Clay Aikens, yeah. yeah. And again, the emotion of just the lyric coming to the light. Um, yeah, it's, every word he wrote is precious. I'm sorry, even, <laughs> even the worst he treats me. <laughs>
<laughs> no. <laughs> no, Alan. No. Can I change the subject and change my answer? Can Go I? ahead. Please, okay. you do it. Yeah, simply. That, that actually my favorite lyric, one of my favorite lyrics is not exactly a Disney lyric, but it's about Disney, which is, which is a song from Smile and Disneyland, Take Me There to Disneyland. Uh, maybe it's all fake. That's a chance I'll take. It's perfectly okay. Yes. I think that, I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's well, exactly a beautiful lyric. In fact, when you said that, Sarah, my, my lyrics are from Disneyland. Um, that maybe it's all fake, but I also love, especially love the bridge. Oh, I know you're going to say the trees are paper mache. It's made with mirrors, the magic there. Each little bird's full of springs. You press a button, it sings, recorded music in the air. There's only plywood and paste. Go on, say it. I'll turn around and tell you, I don't care. And I absolutely love that bridge because you, you've got that whole facade going on on the outside. And there's that little child, you know, burning inside oh. from him that just says, it doesn't matter. I don't care. It and, and, matter. I and don't care because it. to me, it's real. I'm going to, I'm, you know, take me there. Uh, I'm, I'm, I promise I'm going to get there. And I don't care. <laughs> and but she says it, he has been saying it twice. Yeah. I don't care. I don't, don't care. And he follows it up with, I will, and you think, it's going to be a different word. I will live yeah. in Disneyland. Yeah, I will live there. Oh, it was just such a breathtaking. And of course, I, I'm, I'm, you know, absolutely huge fan of story songs. But Disneyland, even though I only got to sing it for a few short weeks, and I, I still do it in concert all the time. What a story, what a journey that song takes you on from beginning yeah. to end. And I can always hear in I can hear Howard in my ear when I sing that. Don't sing that too much. Don't sing. Speak oh, absolutely. That. Speak that part right there. Just maybe hit a note, but not a perfect note. Don't make it perfect. Don't get it on a perfect pitch. And I can hear him when I sing that song. Yeah. Did the same thing with, with Angela Lansbury, who was happy to take his direction. But Alan, do you remember when Angela got the first audio tape of the Beauty and the Beast ballad? Of course, of course. You, you have to tell that story because it's precious. Well, yeah, it's we, you know, we rec recorded Beauty and the Beast, and I did my tale as old as time, true as it can be. And we also had one where Howard did tale as old as time, true as it can be. So um, they, we, we, we want Angela to play the part. And they said, Angela said uh, she doesn't think it's for her. I said, what? She said, well, we sent her the song, and she didn't really feel it was, you know, her style of a song to sing. She felt she could do that. I said, which, which demo did you send her? Oh, we sent her yours. I said, no, 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 no. Send her Howard's demo. She got Howard's demo instantly. Ah, yes, I'll do it. And she did, it's Jody. it's what you said. She's an actress who can sing, but it's, you know, hit the melody once in a while and more than anything, be your character. You know, and you, you said it so beautifully in the film. It's, it's like part of your world is a monologue set to music. And mm -hmm. I love that line because I just figured, wow, that, that's about narrative storytelling and songs. And but that's Don, what everybody appreciates. I, I, I can't take credit for that. That's what Howard told me in the studio. Oh, how funny. Stop singing. 
it's a monologue that happens to have some pitch to it. Just like when we would say, I know the mountains refaced, it's only plywood and paste. He's like, I, I, stop singing that, just tell us the story. And there's gonna be some pitch in there. There's gonna be some notes. They won't be perfect, but they're gonna be perfect for the story and for the song. Wow, that's so beautiful. Yeah, well, I just wanted to set the record straight that that was Howard that said that. It makes sense. Yeah, and watching and hearing Angela Lansbury sing Beauty and the Beast, the day that we did it in the studio with full orchestra, I mean, it was an amazing day. And she'd been up all night because she'd missed her flight and was exhausted, had no sleep. And Don, I think you said, Angela, go home, we'll do it tomorrow. And she said, no, no, I'll give it, I'll give it my best shot. And she got in front of the microphone and we have like a chorus full of Broadway stars, a hundred piece orchestra live, everybody's sitting there. She gets up to sing the song. She sings Beauty and the Beast in one take and not a dry eye in the house. I mean, people were so choked up. It was just talk about a masterclass. That, that was like a masterclass. Yeah. And she's a Howard fan. I talked to her a couple of weeks ago and, um, you know, she'd be the first to say that Howard really, um, you know, gave her all his gifts of direction and lyrics and those things. And that's a amazing tribute. Yeah. One of my favorite moments in the, and I, I, I was lucky enough to be there when the Jerry Orbach and, and Angela are there. And he, Orbach especially, Howard's like listening, Alan's listening, everybody. And Orbach is like, <laughs> I'm of his life. I love that moment. Yeah, they are, they are so happy, you know, yeah. and Alan and Howard are like intense and making sure it works, which is great. And and the actors are just like, I can't believe I'm here. This is amazing. We're having so much fun. Yeah, it's cool. Well, we felt there's a lot of responsibility for two, you know, off-Broadway kids here. Yeah. Um, you know, we had to grow up very fast. Yep. Thank you so much for joining us. This was beyond, the movie is fantastic. So congratulations, Don, and all of you being able to tell Thanks, our Jeffrey. story so beautifully. Oh, Wonderful to see you all. Thank you. Such it's a treat. Great. Thank you all. Thank you for joining us. It's a great time Bye, seeing everyone. Good to see you guys. All of you guys. Bye. Good seeing you all. Good, guys. So great to see you. Adios. <laughs>